0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com
2: All right, here we are in Redefining Society on ITSP Magazine with me, Marco Ciavelli, just got back from RSA Conference, so I'm fresh into cybersecurity talk, and we will maybe touch on that a little bit, but the focus of this conversation is actually about a magical city that somewhere exists in between technology, reality, and, uh, I don't know, fantasy. I- I'm, I- I'm big in fantasy, so I'm going to start it like this. But the truth is that the city is there. (laughs) Uh, It's called Pitch 3 Corner, uh, Corner, and it's near Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I've heard about this mythical city for a while. And so I'm I'm glad that I had the opportunity to have this conversation with Brandon Branham, which is uh, the CTO and also the uh, assistant city manager. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. And... uh, Tell me about this city. But first, tell me about yourself and uh, how do you fit into this city.
3: Yeah, no, thank you, Marco, for having me today. Pleasure to be here. Um, Yeah, so uh, it is kind of mythical because (laughs) Peachtree Corners is only 10 years old. So we're a new municipality. So, you know, it kind of fits that role very well. But uh, myself, I've been in local government about 18 years now. Um, Came actually through Georgia, so back in 2005. There was a movement in Georgia uh, starting new cities. So the residents wanted local control. So they've been in the beginning of setting cities up from ground zero. Uh, So started started in the city of Sandy Springs. And then in 2012, when the city of Peachtree Corners Incorporated, they asked me to come here and help them uh, start the city from ground zero as well. Uh, so been here since day one that the city has been in operation, uh, helping manage all things from just, you know, getting those policies and ordinances in place and then shifting over into the innovation work. So most of my career has been through administration and public management. Um, and then my current city manager saw that I love to tinker with things and figure them out. So put me into the CTO role to lead our initiative curiosity lab. Um But Peachtree Corners, as I mentioned, uh, just incorporated in 2012. Uh, We're a city of about 50,000 residents, about 20 minutes from downtown Atlanta. Uh, But what is unique is we're 50,000 jobs as well. So we are a regional job hub for the metropolitan area. Um, And our area was really created, developed in the late 60s, early 70s by a Georgia Tech grad, big engineering school here. We got tired of seeing the brain drain leave Georgia for high-tech jobs. So back in the late 60s, came way out here to Peachtree Corners because it was way out here back then um, and started speculatively building uh, an office park to attract and recruit technology-focused companies. Um, And we have a really rich history and innovation, the modem. The Hayes modem was actually invented right here in Peachtree Corners. Uh, The color printer was invented here and Scientific Atlanta, which is now part of Cisco, was founded right here in this technology park. And so, as people like to, you know, live close to where they work, our housing population grew with our job base, and that's how we ended up about a one-for-one, you know, fast forward a few decades, City Incorporated, because the residents wanted that local control. Um, So, and then about Five years ago, as we kind of got sea legs under us, stood up the city, built a downtown, we looked at ways that we could continue to drive that business growth. How do we you know, enhance and grow and continue to stay you know, very business friendly and create that environment that business can thrive in? So that's what led us down the road of Curiosity Lab. Uh, is we had an, a council member who was obsessed with autonomous vehicles. Like, what are cities going to do to be prepared for autonomous vehicles? Uh, so I just got the curiosity, no pun intended, you know, stirring in staff and, and us going out. So we started doing some research and we found that there wasn't a purpose built facility taking use of public infrastructure in the day-to-day lives of real people that companies could come and partner along uh, the city and start to deploy and test and develop these emerging technologies in smart cities and IOT in mobility. Uh, so we took a three mile section of roadway, put in the supporting infrastructure, dedicated lanes for advanced autonomous vehicles, fiber, partnered with T-Mobile from a 5G perspective. And then, you know, put all that infrastructure in and then opened it up to the private sector to come and use free of charge. Come, you know, let's hang these devices. Let's work together. Let's integrate it into the public space. We have a 25,000 square foot innovation center service in both corporate innovation where we've got companies like T-Mobile, UPS, Bosch all working, you know, alongside of us there. And we run a startup incubator program in partnership with Georgia Tech. So focused on early stage startups, supporting that whole balance, you know, of big corporate with you know the one and two off um, startup guys who are trying to make their dreams a reality, all using this infrastructure to come together to drive innovation as an economic mm-hmm. development initiative.
2: Well, it, it does sound honest to me. Like I, I let you, I did let you go because it, it sounds like you're telling the story of the city. And I cannot understand what comes first, right? So I come from Europe, from Florence. So we look way back. And many times I remember, even in the 70s, we were talking about, well, I was a kid at the time, but. Talk was like you know there are too many cars for a city that was yeah. not made for cars obviously <laughs> you know back in the in the 1000 uh, we didn't think about that so for me when you when you outline these and again I'm gonna re- go back to coming drove down back to LA from San Francisco just last week back and forth you know Silicon Valley I know that one is called Orchard. Uh, yep. vale, so that's really fitting and even more mythological, <laughs> on my, in my opinion. And I I'm, I was driving around San Francisco, and I see a ton of mm-hmm. self-driving car being tested on the tough uphill, downhill. And, you know, I even, by mistake, honked at one because I thought it was somebody just driving really bad. In reality, it was the car doing its job. So... I go back to my original thought, which is what comes first. Like, that come the idea, and that happened to be already a tech hub. So it's like, yeah, it's easy to build the city here, and obviously, even to start from scratch, where you're like, you know, all the the street, um, all the 5G, all the stuff that you need to to create a lab from scratch sounds like a lot easier than just converting. And I'm not just going to go to Paris or Florence, even a city like New York or again San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're not thought for that. Yeah. So, what's your, what's yeah. the philosophy behind that?
3: Yeah. So no, it, it was definitely a conversion. Obviously not as dense as uh, a New York or a San Francisco, but all of your existing infrastructure was there. Your roadway was already there. Your sidewalks already there. Your are already there. Your um, streetlights are already there, and we like to refer to ourselves as that walk phase of crawl, walk, run, right? You've got great closed facilities like M-City where you can go and test these out in a mock city, but then you're not right. You're not ready for San Francisco. So where's that in-between step? And so we saw that opportunity to retrofit existing infrastructure for these emerging technologies in that semi-mock, in that walk phase, because we're about 14,000 cars a day on the roadway that these vehicles are interacting with. Uh, so we've had three different pilots of the autonomous shuttles. So really focusing on that last, you know, first mile connection for public transit. Um, and then the applications that come around 5G, like connected vehicle applications, where vehicles are talking to infrastructure and infrastructure is talking to people. Um, but you're not, you know, 40,000 people trying to cross an intersection at once like you would see, you know, in, in a New York right. or San Francisco, so helping these companies get to that point where they are ready for those dense, dense environments. So, so infrastructure was there, and then we yeah. came and retrofitted.
2: But it sounds a lot easier, right? I get. Here is the thing: so when you think about a smart city, you think about a big city with a lot of infrastructure, a lot of money, maybe, and uh, and like got to be smart. But the complexity, right? I mean. Just think about all the old stuff that is yeah. in there, which is kind of cool, right? But, you know, the old metro, the old tubes, the old sewage system. It sounds a lot easier to just start from, from scratch. It
3: is. No doubt no, no, no. one of definitely, hands down, one of our advantages of what we've been able to do. Um, and But what we try to help other cities do, right, is when they do come to these challenges of how do we implement this technology? Because companies understand and we understand like you've got to figure out a way to integrate legacy systems.
2: like we got to go from
3: analog to digital. how do we get there? what's that path to get there? Um, so we stand up you know opportunities for them in the transportation space or in the building to where they can start to play around in those you know analog type systems as they transition into the digital but yeah, part of being new is we can move very quickly right? So we can get things on, we can get them moving, we can get them testing. And you're not having to deal with, you know, in no fault of their own, but they've had decades of, you know, government that have just taken on more and more services. Whereas new, we, we haven't had that. So it creates a lot of flexibility for us to be able to help, you know, bring that private public sector together.
2: Yeah. And when and when I say easy, Easier. I, yeah. I don't want to, like, diminish what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I just say, you know, comparable to yeah. something else. Yeah. I, I I love that. And I, I love that it. it just fit the idea of the lab, right? Yeah. The lab you test, and then when you reach a certain goal, you make it viable for others. So yeah. I, I, I absolutely love that. And I, I'm ser- seriously thinking the audience is wondering what does – smart city means. Yeah. Um, you know, we hear about that. So maybe some concrete example, like a case study of what yeah. what is now. And and you know, I mean, we've been talking about smart cities for a while. So what what is today 2023 that will fit your vision definition of smart cities and some examples so people can say, hey, that sounds really smart. Or well it's kind of dumb.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I know, favorite question, right, because you can ask that to 100 yeah. people, you get 100 different answers. Um, yeah. But right, it's, the, it's the ability to take you know, technology to improve a service or an efficiency of the government or improve the life of your resident. Um, cases that, we, that we've been piloting, right, in a couple of years, we've heard of smart parking for a long time. But how do we use that? How do you take that out of the core where it's not a revenue generator, but it's an enhanced service to your constituents. So we built our downtown, as I mentioned, in 2019. We hold all of our concerts there. We've got a two acre green that we're drawing about three to 4,000 people to a concert. We've only got 1,000 onsite parking spots. So how do we use this technology? So we worked with T-Mobile, Cradle Point, and Bosch to deploy a camera system across the facility. So now we know every spot, is it available, is it not? And we communicate that through an application to our residents so they know before they come, they can look up and they can see, hey, there's 10 spots left, am I gonna get it? Probably not, so let me go ahead and go to overflow. So, right, that's meaning a couple different initiatives. It's providing enhanced service to our residents so they don't have a you know, bad experience coming to an event and to cut, cutting down on emissions because they're not sitting there driving around looking for that spot. They know exactly where to go uh, through those brings in a security layer for our public safety department uh, if they need it. Uh, some of the other ones from a city perspective, which is pretty easy, and uh, we've seen some of this, right, is just putting sensors in trash cans. You know, we've got 17 square miles. We've got 64 trash cans scattered across the city. What, is, what do most public works drivers do? They have a guy in a truck and they drive around and they pop the lid on the trash can. Is there trash in there? Yes or no. And then they go on it's pretty inefficient use of resources, which every government is strapped for resources. So putting a sensor in there tells you when the can is full, they know exactly where to go, they're not wasting time. So that allows them to do other things. Um, Managing, we worked on a project to put a water sensor in a fire hydrant four feet underground. So we're monitoring water pressure um, because water theft off of fire hydrants is actually a real thing especially around construction sites. So you can see if there's a quick change in water pressure or if there's a break in the line. So you're able to upgrade your maintenance of of those water systems quickly. Um, And then we're all dealing with transportation, right? Traffic is everywhere. Um, We have a corridor, carries 60,000 cars a day, cuts right through the heart of our city. So we've taken both camera analytics and uh, LIDAR with ouster and then brought in connected vehicle uh, for two reasons. One is the efficiency of that traffic signal. Are we pulling cars through in an efficient manner? And then two, are we protecting those pedestrians that are using the crosswalk? So we can actually detect a pedestrian in that walkway using the camera system that's doing the analytics, convert that to the message for connected vehicles and broadcast that out. So a car can receive that there's pedestrians in that crosswalk 200 yards away. So, and, you know, it's all about increasing that safety for the vulnerable road user, you know, because we want people out walking. We want people out on bikes, but we have to protect them. So those are use cases that are here today. um, And how you start to aggregate all of this information, I think that's the next step that we're getting to in smart cities. Then we're making citywide holistic decisions. We're working with a couple of partners to do that now.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that. So, who who makes those decisions? Because you know, the one of the definition that I have in my head is you know blueprint, yeah. and I know it was kind of like in our notes before this conversation, and and again, it gives a the lab idea and the experiment make it happen. So, the the initiative do do they come? I mean, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear from you. Like uh, public, private? It's a like government funding. Uh, a federal level at uh, the at state level, city level. And of course you mentioned really big brand names working there. So uh, how does this all come together in a, in yeah. a mix or maybe as a, as an advice, uh, you know, what are you experiencing that works better and somebody wants to start thinking this way?
3: Yeah. Combination, right? Funding's always the table. Question on the table, no doubt about it.
2: Uh, budget, <laughs> <laughs>
3: budget. Can we do this? Um, and I think that's where, right, the financing models have started to really change to outcome based, right? So, in the in the companies are starting to see that where do where does my technology bring the value, and if I can prove the value, maybe the financing model shifts from cities paying that capex to let me prove. And we, we're gonna set this goal, we're gonna do that. If we reach that goal through our through our technology, then the finance the financing and payment start to kick in. Uh, so a couple different ways there, uh, lots of federal grant money coming out, right, with the IIJA, that's gonna help build up some of that infrastructure. We still have to think about those ongoing OPEX costs. Operating costs are still gonna be there for a lot of this, uh, but th- that will at least give us the infrastructure. Um, and where we've seen the success, is that private public relationship right Um, because companies are looking to innovate to solve problems but you need the support of the local governments to do that and so when you bring those two together in environments create those environments that those conversations are open that there's value for both sides of the parties you'd be surprised how much they're willing to help assist in some of these projects
2: yeah uh show me the money right (laughs) So that, that that's an interesting thing. I have a few questions, but I want to leave it to to the end where we can talk a little bit more about the citizens and the benefit of living there in you know in the in the city of uh, with the Wizard of Oz that control everything. Um, but but let's talk about budget. Let's talk about uh, perception of return on investment, and also maybe uh, the role of. Yeah, I mean, look, again, I, I talk a lot with cybersecurity. So yeah. the CISOs sit on the table, at the table with the board, and now the conversation it's thankfully, now more about I'm going to scare you so yeah. much that you're going to have to pay, but I'm going to tell you that security is an investment and so is technology, eventually. We already know that. But when <laughs> we think about city, many times, and especially me coming from a very, you know, bureaucratic, <laughs> you know, Europe, which is getting a lot better, by the way, it's more like, yeah, well, that's business and that's politics that takes way longer. There is different kind of, you know, exchange that needs yeah. to go there. Um, but we also learn that if you run a city like a business, yeah, then everybody benefit out of that. So what... Are we learning that based on your experience and other in your position that I'm sure you, you, you talk with other uh, city managers?
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. We're, it's a very tight circle uh, with all of us here. And I think in return on investment, it's always a challenging question for local government because every community is unique. Right. And, and what their residents and taxpayers expect is different. And so those, those returns on investment are going to look very different depending on the community that you're talking to. Um, you know, are we putting ourselves in a position that we're not having to increase the tax base for our residents, right? So if you're, if you're leaning forward to be a business friendly environment, that helps offset that opportunity over there. Uh, so those are returns investment and curiosity lab, because it's about economic development, it's about growing that job base, that is one of our key markets on what we're looking at for our return on investment. Is us leaning forward in innovation, opening the doors for companies to say, yes, we want to be a part of that ecosystem. You think about Silicon Valley, right? It's a combination of a multitude of companies that wanted to be a part of the synergies that were happening between each other. And so that's what we've been able to try and create here. We've been very successful in that. Um, actually have a Silicon Valley company opening their East Coast headquarters here, Intuitive Surgical. Uh, they make a DaVinci, a robotic surgery-assisted device, creating oh, yeah. yeah. 1,500 jobs, $650 million R&D campus to feature corners. And they said, because we were open to that you know, private-public interaction, the partners we pull together, creating those collisions between companies, that was the final reason they chose us. Um, so that's our return on investment. Um, other cities you're gonna right they're gonna be looking for mobility options. Are you bringing the right mobility options to the to them to move around the city? Right. Houston launched a massive e-bike share program is because that's what their community to look for, how they're measuring the success of that, right is through the ridership and the locations. How does that interact with their other transit systems? so just depends on you know the the project and the community on where that return on investment's coming from. Transportation's tough, right? Um, When traffic engineers say they made a 4% increase in flow of traffic, that's a huge step. But to the public, they're like, I still set it that red light. So it's, you know, it, it is a challenge. So the communication to the community is huge. We do a lot of our outreach, right? We hold community events where we bring this technology there The autonomous shuttles are open for the community to come take a part of to be a part of those experiences because in the end you need that public support and the number one measurement for any government is did our elected body get re-elected and that's a measure of success and we have fortunately knock on wood all of our elected body has been re-elected for the last two two election cycles so i think those are ways you can measure that obviously We all know government and politics is a thing, um, but you can use those measurements to see, you know, is the
2: progress that we're making here having that impact on the community. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, So let's look at this same thing, but from the citizen perspective. So those are the ones that elect people there. They'll, They'll be happy about what you're doing or not. And, you know. There's always going to be somebody that's not happy. I, you know, I, I've been around long enough to, to know that. But I, I do think that even if many times you you have a resistance towards innovation, then eventually you see that it does work, that, that, you know, even that 4% in a larger scale, it's it's big. Yeah. It's, it means you're sitting instead of, I mean, I live in LA, so tell me about, you know. Four percent yeah. that's i'll take that uh on the 405 but so the, the 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 citizens what's what's their reaction and i don't know if it's the right question for you because i'm assuming that it, it's kind of like again the people that live there they choose there maybe they they you know they don't deal with the change but they come into the change i don't know if it makes sense but in a bigger picture let, let's 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 abstract from your own experience. How do you measure success, not from a government side, not from a business side, but from, again, the citizen side? And is there a trade-off? And we can talk about uh, cybersecurity here and security and privacy maybe, because there is this idea that, oh God, cameras everywhere. First time I went to Singapore, I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. But I talked to people there and they're like, well, I feel safe. I feel mm-hmm. secure. I'm cool with that. Uh, an accident happened. Cops don't even show up. It's it's all on camera. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is kind of weird. But they loved it, I guess. So how is uh, the perception of the public and the security of it? Yeah. Is that a trade-off?
3: That's a great question, right? We never get complaints, ever. You know, it's just utopia. I'm moving there, by the way. (laughs) No, yeah, it is, right? Because there's always another, you know, pothole that needs fixed. There's always a sidewalk that needs improved. There's, you know, there's always these requests that come. Um, And so I think twofold, right, is the development that comes around to support those day-to-day interactions of cities, right? Is your city growing? Is the resources from the private sector giving your residents what they want and the only way to achieve that is through you know the developers and you know business owners seeing that their government is invested in making their their city better um and so what we've seen right is our shopping centers getting redeveloped because they were built in the 80s and um 70s 90s then We have just our, your day-to-day life of the resident, right? Do I feel safe? Um, You know, is the city doing their job to protect me from a safety perspective? And then what we've seen through the use of technology is the communication behind that technology to them. So did we roll out license plate readers? Yes. Uh, We put 50 of them across the city, but communicating the benefit back to them uh, about that use of that technology, what it's done to help protect and, and serve them in return um, is we've got positive feedback from the citizens around that area, around that, that in the nature of safety. Um, Canberra's great question, right? PII is something we all we all think about, something we concern about. Uh, we have taken the process of you know, going through the NIST standard um, for data privacy and security all around the focus of PII because none of us want to feel like we're walking into Skynet, right? We want, we want, we wanted to know that we can go and enjoy public space without that fear of that. Um, And so we built that into our cybersecurity and our security plans uh, of how we do that. And then cybersecurity has to be at the forefront of all of this, right? As we get more and more connected devices across the city, this has to be, at the forefront of everything we're doing, whether it's the vendor, is security built into the product? How is the network being managed as it continues to grow and to expand? And So all things that have to be layered into the entire approach of how we, we consider what these technologies bring to a smart city. I think if you do that and you communicate it to the citizen, that's where I think a lot of times government, we as government tend to fail as we go out and we implement and then all of a sudden we get all these complaints. but walking with the, with your citizens there communicating it with them you'd be surprised how that feedback changes from the citizen back to the city because they're a part of it right most of us are afraid of what we don't know so if they know and they're informed it changes that dialogue
2: true that that's that's one of my main reason why i want to have this conversation and i want yeah. people to listen and understand and not be afraid of it but be also participant into say well here's where we need to draw a line and you know this this is about our privacy about our identity and i mean we can go philosophical in this how the concept of privacy has changed identities change and we'll we'll give away anything for 10% discount anyway uh, I know you're busy. I, I just want to finish with one last question, unless there is something you want to add. And by the way, for all the uh, listeners, there'll be notes. And I know you have a beautiful city uh, website. I did the the, the drone tour. I was yeah. very. I think that's how I come up with the idea of this imaginary fantasy city, because really cool with the river that goes through it. Uh, the future. So I want to. It wouldn't be my episode if I wouldn't ask about what the future looks like and uh wh- what do you see that to be I mean are we already in the future um where would you like it to be and uh and do you think every city uh would would embrace what you guys are doing at any level uh even around the world I'm, I'm sure you talked to not just to the us but oh, yeah. you know, we mentioned Singapore we mentioned Europe um so what's your thought on the future
3: yeah no, great question. And Speaking of cybersecurity, so I'm going to have to apologize. Our cybersecurity team is putting through a patch, so I may be rebooted. Okay. Uh, but no, I think it's the future. I think it's, right, we're seeing cities start to really embrace data. And you're seeing cities hire data analysts and chief data officers because cities have an enormous amount of data, but how are we using that? I mm-hmm. think that's where the future of smart cities is going to start to change is the use of data to change the day-to-day operational aspect for our community. And every department starting to talk to one another, especially you think these large, large cities, how do you start to get them cohesively working together? And data can be that string that ties all of that together. The technology's been here, right? Now we're starting to deploy it. Let's pull it all together and really start to move these initiatives forward from a data-centric approach. I think that's where the future goes.
2: Cool. Yep. A lot of data, a lot of AI to put it into, and it's all about how you manage it. All right. So before you get booted here out from uh, for a patch, I'm going to thank you for these. Uh, I, I, I look forward to actually maybe in the area, sometimes in the summer, maybe I'll, I'll come and visit uh, Peach 3 Corner. So will be kind of fun. And uh, thank you so much for all you've uh, shared with us. And I'm afraid you're already frozen there, so I'm just gonna close this by myself. Apparently there was a patch going on, on uh, on Brandon's um, uh, office and uh, city government uh, building. Uh, That's is technology for you. We're talking about technology and we, we got disconnected. But anyway, I wanna thank again, uh, Brandon Braham and uh, all that he shared with us. And I invite everybody listen and watch the video or listen to the podcast to look at the notes and uh, learn more about this and subscribe. Stay tuned. Follow us on all social media. This is the Finance Society podcast on ITSP Magazine with uh, Marco Ciappelli and just me right now. So again, see you later. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
1: Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers To help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity and society.